Let's pray. Holy Father, uh, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you for bringing us together. And I pray that you would build us up and instruct us and teach us uh, through your word and um, by the power of your spirit. And I pray that you'd build up our whole body and edify us and uh, give us uh, the will and the desire to use our gifts to uh, glorify and honor and serve you and your son. And I pray that uh, all of our words and deeds would be well-pleasing to you and that uh, you would work everything out for, for our good and conform us to the likeness of your son. And so we thank you for these things and pray in his name. Amen. All right, so this evening, wow, we have a couple, couple more coming in. For just, just getting, just getting started. So, uh, grab a couple, couple of these charts here. And so, let's go to the end of Deuteronomy. I just want to touch on a couple of things, and then we will be going into the uh, structure of Genesis. Oh, no problem. Hey, you, you can come. Come anytime. Must be closed downstairs then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I found that out, too, that the doors were locked. So, are you guys getting up here? Yep. Yeah, we, I went upstairs. But let's, uh, let's get started. And so we're just concluding with, uh, with Moses uh, and our study and survey of the, the Torah uh, and looking at all of the testimony uh, that uh, the Torah uh, is, uh, Mo Moses is a mediator, a teacher, uh, and a author. Uh, and we're looking at all this material from uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy. And I'd just like to point out the last couple things and uh, look at a, a couple quotes in the, the New Testament from uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed. And so here we got to this last section where uh, Moses uh, went up on the mountain, so Deuteronomy 34. And then in verse 4, And Yahweh said to him, uh, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Uh, so Moses, the servant of Yahweh, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of Yahweh. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, uh, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Uh, Moses was 120 years old when he died, so kind of like the, the flood generation uh, with Noah that was cut off and couldn't go over uh, in the ark to basically the, the new land, the new creation, uh, following the destruction and judgment uh, of that former uh, wicked and sinful generation. Adam, I yeah. have a question yeah. about, about Moses' death. You know, I've heard the story mm -hmm. that Satan 
10, the, and the archangel Michael fought over Moses' body after he died? Is, is, I that, think, some, is I think, that some crazy idea? I think, I think that Jude may allude to that, uh, where some of that comes in uh, apocryphal literature. And so what you'd have to ask as far as like Jude, so uh, Jude, Jude draws on like uh, Enoch, and we'll look at that more when we get in uh, into Genesis. Okay. Uh, but uh, the one thing that you have to ask is, uh, he's drawing uh, an exhortation uh, from that and drawing application about uh, false teachers that Peter had warned about uh, that were to come and that he's saying are now here in the church. And so by drawing on that, you'd have to ask, is Jude saying that this actually happened or is he drawing on this uh, literature uh, that was written by Jews and was edifying and such and he's drawing uh, application of it uh, where he could either treat it as historical or as uh, fictional, but he's making application of it. So it'd be kind of like the, you know, drawing on like the, the Pilgrim's Progress or something like that, or uh, Jesus speaks in parables, mm. uh, and so do the prophets, where uh, some of the parables aren't something that they're not stating that uh, this actually happened in history, uh, but they'll be, use a story or a narrative, kind of like Nathan when he confronts David over uh, his sin with uh, Bathsheba and having uh, Uriah uh, murdered on the, the battle lines and uh, basically making Joab and the whole nation and such complicit in his sin. And there he tells him a story uh, about uh, a man, you know, a powerful rich man and such, who stole... <coughs> Uh, a poor man's only uh, lamb. He had like a little, little uh, young, young uh, lamb, and he took it and you know fed it to them. And so he tells uh, a story and draws on that uh, to confront David to make a point. And so that's what you'd have to wrestle with uh, more. Uh, you know how how he's using it. The application is clear. You know he's saying that uh, that in this narrative, uh, like in Enoch and such, that here the archangel won't even rebuke uh, Satan, but says, the Lord rebuke you. But here you have these false teachers going around, you know, uh, rebuking demons and such. Uh, and so he makes application of that, so. Oh, I see. That's not a literal story. Well, I, I guess, you, you know, I, I, I want to look more as far as how Jude is using it. The one thing that's clear is that he's drawing just application from this literature that other uh, people people knew. But I don't I don't know if he's treating it like he he doesn't. I don't know if he's making the point that this necessarily happened. Okay. Uh, but okay. you, you do have uh, clearly here that they didn't know you know where he was buried. No. <laughs> And, the, and here, I go along, I go along with this, this story. Yeah, here, here you, you clearly, you know, the point is to recount these historical events here. And so uh, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Uh, then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, was full of the spirit of wisdom, Holy Spirit, 
for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom Yahweh knew face to face. None like him for, and listen to the all, all the signs and the wonders uh, that Yahweh sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That's like the end of the creation account where a lot of times you'll have these thematic sevens for completion and finality. Uh, you'll have, you'll inevitably come across words like all and complete and full and rest and whole. Uh, and so where, where you see them bundled up like that and here at the conclusion of Deuteronomy and the Torah, uh, you, you can guarantee that you have like thematic sevens and such. And it's just part of the, the theme that's woven throughout. But here, like we we're talking about, you have 120 years, he dies. Uh, they uh, go through a period of, of mourning for Moses uh, for 30 days. And then it says that they obeyed uh, Joshua. So passed. And so this snippet, must have been written by someone like uh, Joshua uh, or some of the others we saw working with Moses, uh, even with the census, with the tabernacles. Uh, he worked with his nephew Ithamar, uh, Aaron, who's dead, but Eliezer is still alive. Ithamar, uh, Moses' nephew, Phinehas, the Levites, whom he entrusted with the scriptures, and that they would know that, you know, these themes of like all and such would show that they would have known the scriptures uh, very well and probably that uh, they were working with Moses uh, along the way and there might have been some finishing touches but this here provides a bridge then from what comes before to Joshua and uh, Judges and Samuel and what follows and there's discussion about like who wrote it and so uh, some some would think that, I mean, you see the involvement of Joshua and Ithamar and all of them during Moses' lifetime and that they were eyewitnesses uh, to these things. It'd be kind of like a Luke or a Mark or, uh, well, you know, Matthew and such uh, who, uh, who wrote. And some think that maybe, maybe Samuel or around the time of David maybe had, had like a small hand um, some have argued, like uh, John Salehammer, where I think he leaves it open, uh, but he's argued that maybe like Ezra did the last bit, but I don't know, it seems like these things come a lot like earlier. And if we were to go through uh, Joshua and Judges, uh, we'd see a lot of connections back. And as you get into like the Psalms, uh, some Psalms, in the book of Psalms is kind of interesting because you have so many that were written from David. You have a couple from Solomon, uh, from the Ezraites during David and Solomon's time. But then you have some Psalms that were written uh, during the, after like the Babylonian captivity. And so all of these were like drawn together and you kind of have a similar thing like with uh, creation where you have two units in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then 
Second, and the earth was uh, formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then you have five units at the end. Well, the Psalms is the same way. You have two units at the beginning. They're anonymous. doesn't say who authored them. And you have five at the end. They kind of frame the, the whole book of Psalms. Uh, and here you see how Moses is exalted. It's not so much like Deuteronomy 18, where 16, and then especially 17, 18, you have the offices of judge, uh, judge, king, priest, and prophet. But some of these sections, like here, elevate the status of Moses. Uh, and we had a sermon in Numbers uh, around 11, 12, 10, 11, 12, uh, where we saw, again, the status of Moses elevated. You know, God, where he's said to be, uh, now the man, Moses, was more humble than anyone on the, on the face of the earth. And we said, either uh, maybe Moses could use it in a self-deprecating way, but that he was also working with Joshua and Ithamar and such. They could have had a hand, too, uh, where it's similar to this text right here that elevates the status of Moses. And you see that again and again. And where in some ways, even Joshua, uh, he was to listen to uh, Eliezer uh, and like Phinehas, uh, the high priest, who had the Urim and the Thummim. And so he's to listen to them, and Moses was over the high priest. So God will speak to Joshua, but you see, God isn't done speaking. And you, know, you have Samuels and uh, prophets throughout, but God hasn't finished speaking yet. And so uh, some like... Salehammer, and even where, like, let's say that uh, maybe Joshua and the, the priests uh, wrote this, you also have links where you get to, like, the end of the, the prophets, so the law, the prophets, Malachi's at the end of the prophets, and you have, he speaks about a couple prophets that are going to come, and Yahweh is going to come to his temple, and he has uh, one as Elijah, who goes before him, but then I think there's one to come come later. And you have that kind of at the end of Malachi, and so there are certain links like back to this, like with Malachi and such, that kind of hold the the scriptures uh, together. That God hasn't uh, spoken His uh, final uh, word, and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is He's not just uh, you know the the prophet, the prophet par excellence, the prophet of prophets. But he's judge of judges, king of kings, uh, priest of priests, and prophet of prophets. Uh, he's the judge, uh, king, priest, and prophet who came down from heaven. And you even have themes like that with the, the angel of Yahweh and Zechariah. He had a priest in heaven, you know, the angel of Yahweh, who interceded on his behalf. Uh, the high priest Joshua had a, had a priest in heaven who interceded. And so uh, the Apostle John and the biblical authors uh, draw on that. Uh, here you don't just have a one who, who speaks and was raised up from the earth, from just from humanity, but one who came down from heaven and took on flesh. And then, just lastly, before turning to the New Testament, if we were to go throughout, like Joshua and such, uh, and with the Psalms, 
throughout, well, even Moses, he alludes to all, all the events of Genesis. And so he was teaching all these things. In fact, he probably, where did the genealogies and such come from? And where did they know how, how did he know who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was? And, you know, to take, uh, uh, to take Joseph's bones. I, I don't remember if God told him there that, but Joseph made the people swear. And they were very interested in their genealogies, in the lines, in the firstborn, in the blessing, in the birthright. And so there are probably a lot of materials uh, that came down and were taught and passed on to, you know, all the way to Moses uh, from uh, the time of Joseph and the, the patriarchs uh, after them. And there's an interesting book that came out uh, by a scholar, and maybe I'll, I'll remember his name. I, didn't have, didn't have them in my notes, uh, but he wrote a book arguing uh, that there, there are these uh, inscriptions uh, that are Semitic, uh, but that draw on uh, Egyptian, uh, uh, Egyptian uh, symbols. Uh, they use kind of like picture symbols and such uh, for, uh, for uh, writing. And so hieroglyphs and, and such like that. And he's actually argued uh, that uh, these ancient inscriptions going back uh, to uh, as far back as like uh, 18th, 17th century BC, uh, that it's widely known that they're written in a Semitic language. Uh, he argues that they're actually written in a, a proto-early uh, Hebrew. Uh, and that's the early uh, Hebrew alphabet, uh, and that actually that, although there were developments, uh, that uh, the Hebrews uh, were actually the uh, first ones to develop uh, kind of a full uh, alphabet as far as uh, letters standing for uh, kind of uh, phonemes, like individual sound units, consonants, and such. And he's actually identified even some uh, biblical uh, people who are known from scripture. Uh, for instance, I believe uh, Ephraim, maybe both Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, Asnat, uh, Joseph's wife, uh, mentioned later. Um, I forget, maybe even like a mention of Moses, but, uh, and also a contemporary uh, from around that time. And so, it's very interesting, he's done a lot of work, but you have to be kind of careful with uh, sensational or, or big claims and such. And so you, you have to be patient and kind of let those things uh, uh, work out. But uh, he came out with a, a book that he's been working on for some, some years. Uh, and he had gone to the, the Master Seminary, but a number of other places. But anyway, Moses, he mentions places like, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but they're lesser-known sister cities, Adma and Zeboim, and so they knew all of these things, and he's drawing to the creation, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, drawing lessons and application from that, and even if there was like any work at all to do, uh, even maybe with some updating or using later uh, city names and such after the, the conquest and settling in the land, you also read through Joshua, Judges, and then 
like into the Psalms and even early Psalms by David and such, uh, there's a Psalm attributed to Moses, where they point to these events uh, in Genesis and in the Torah and such like that. And so they're drawing on this. And so uh, it, it's obviously, uh, as we've seen throughout, that there are places where Moses explicitly writes, others where he dictates, others where he has others like write down and uh, bring census records together. But you see um, mosaic teaching, mosaic instruction, mosaic writing uh, throughout, uh, even though he worked with others like Joshua and, and such. And, and sometimes you do have things like this where this provides a bridge and connects you know, Deuteronomy and what comes before to Joshua and what, what follows. And so you have these uh, links and you have other later writers who draw on and quote from you know, Isaiah and such. Draw, they draw on all of this. And now I'd like to go to just the New Testament. And if we look just at like the Jewish people, you know, throughout history, they recognize uh, Moses' uh, mediatorial, uh, teaching authorial uh, role uh, in this. But why don't you go to uh, Luke 20. We'll focus on verse 37. And these are a couple of uh, uh, James R. White's Christian apologists' uh, favorite uh, verses. And so let's, let's just go back to uh, verse 27. We'll read through it quickly. And so Jesus uh, confronting the religious leaders and they're questioning him on the, the Temple Mount uh, as he's teaching at the end of his uh, ministry. Uh, in his final week. And so, verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, uh, those who deny that there is a resurrection, which is going to show their hypocrisy, a little background, you don't need to know information about the, the Sadducees. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher. Oh, do they think he's teacher? No. Uh, mm -hmm. But teacher. <laughs> uh, Moses wrote for us, that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. Uh, the first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For... The seven had her as wife. So, you know, this one, uh, Pastor Eric has worked on the Pharisees before. <laughs> you know, it's probably a common objection that they raise against resurrection. Uh, and so, uh, and Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, a being sons of the resurrection. 
those who participate and share in it. But that the dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. And so here he answers, there is no marriage. False dichotomy, you know, <laughs> there is no marriage. That's for this age, uh, not, to, not the age to come. But then he takes up another issue because he knows they deny that there's a resurrection. You know, he knows their hearts and he sees through their hypocrisy that they're not just concerned about this marriage question, but they, it's an argument against resurrection at all. Uh, but that, so verse 37, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord uh, the God of Abraham and the God, uh, God of Isaac in uh, the God of Jacob. Right? It goes on, you know, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living for all live to him. And so he draws on Moses about the bush. And who else would reveal, you know, the, what happened, God appearing to him? <laughs> you know, there, there's information that only Moses could have known and then telling the people about it. And so uh, he says that even Moses showed uh, and uses this as evidence. So uh, he draws on where, yeah, you, you have Moses as you know, central human participant from Exodus to Deuteronomy, uh, but you also have his instruction and in writing uh, in the Torah. And uh, Jesus uh, draws uh, right on that uh, to, uh, to refute them. But then, I go to, well, let's go, let's just go back to, let's go to the end of Genesis. And I want to come back to the New Testament. So Genesis 50. And there's a lot we could look at, as I was already talking about uh, Moses in his teaching uh, in Deuteronomy. He basically covers all the events of Exodus through Deuteronomy, and he draws on Genesis too. <laughs> so... But then, as we get to the end of uh, Genesis, uh, verse 22, uh, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Uh, Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, uh, the children also of uh, Machir, uh, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, uh, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so we're waiting, and then Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt, with Jacob, each with his household, 
Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar and Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Uh, they built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Pithom and uh, Ramses, or Ramses. And it goes on, talks about the persecution, uh, the killing of their, uh, uh, their firstborn sons, and then it links to a special firstborn son, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. Uh, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, uh, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took uh, for him a basket and ma made of bulrushes and daubed in bitumen and pitch and put the child in it and placed it among the reeds uh, by the riverbank. And of course, child goes out, uh, his sister watches over him, uh, taken up by Pharaoh's daughter that we've covered, and she names him Moses, for I drew him out of the water. And so it's drawn from an Egyptian name. She drew him uh, out of the water. And Genesis flows and links right in uh, to uh, Exodus. Uh, and so they're, they're unified in how they're linked and intimately uh, woven uh, together and throughout. And pretty soon you get to the uh, the burning bush that Jesus uh, alluded to. Uh, and now, go to uh, Matthew uh, 22. We'll look especially at uh, verse 31. Now, here again, we have the, the Sadducees. And look at verse 29. And so they raise their same objections uh, against Jesus here. And we get to Jesus' answer, verse 29. So we saw, you know, Jesus qu quoted and drew from uh, Mo uh, Moses uh, from Exodus, uh, verse 29. But Jesus answered them. Uh, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. <laughs> the religious leaders of the time. <laughs> You're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You knew those two things, you wouldn't be asking, you know, this stupid, foolish uh, question and objection. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So have, have you not read what was said to you 
by God. Moses speaking, Moses showed from the passage, and now have you not read what God spoke to you? Exodus is God speaking, uh, that James, James R. White uh, points out. And so he's saying the scriptures are God speaking to you, not just to them. And here in, in the, the passage, when he says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, in that passage, Yahweh is speaking to Moses. But here, Jesus says God is speaking to you, and you're responsible for it. And if you knew the scriptures and the power of God, you'd know that there is a resurrection uh, from the dead, and God is able, uh, and he has promised <laughs> that he will raise the dead. And here, uh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and uh, Jacob He's just the God of three dead guys? <laughs> you know, for the Sadducees, I wonder, it's probably along the lines of some of the Greek philosophers and such that maybe you just go out of existence. Uh, you die and that's it. You know, you go in the grave and uh, that's the end of that. Um, or maybe kind of Plato and you go to some world of the forms and such and get rid of the body and all that, uh, all that baggage. Uh, but here the resurrection, and so uh, Luke and Matthew, you have Moses speaking, you know, showing, and you have God speaking. Uh, and I think in Mark you, you have a Moses, uh, Moses wrote. And so uh, Jesus uh, upholds uh, Mosaic uh, authorship uh, in teaching. And yeah, we see that he worked with Ithamar uh, and Joshua and such, but under his instruction, uh, under his command, uh, along the way. And again and again, you get to the end of Leviticus, uh, speaks about the teaching of Moses. You know, this is the teaching of Moses, you know, all the, the uh, Yahweh had commanded him. You get to the end of Numbers, same thing, same thing. Uh, the end of uh, Deuteronomy, uh, God spoke by Moses. And now I want to... Uh, get into Genesis, and we'll see how uh, far we get. It took a little longer uh, to, to cover that, but uh, just kind of sets things in perspective, uh, seeing the bigger picture of the Torah, uh, but also seeing the authority behind it. Yes, uh, Mosaic teaching instruction, uh, but ultimately God speaking, uh, God commanding. Uh, they're, they're the very words of God. Uh, and you have a similar thing uh, where he says in the subsequent uh, chapter or so uh, where he rebukes uh, the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says uh, that uh, they're of their fathers and that uh, the blood of all the righteous uh, will come upon them uh, from the blood of uh, righteous Abel uh, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Uh, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, is the comes uh, right before the end in the, the, minor, uh, the minor prophets. I think it's the 11th of the, the 12 uh, minor prophets. Uh, the 12 is they're called. Uh, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. 
You killed him. You did. So all this blood's going to come on, upon you because as you persecute uh, those who are sent to him, uh, wise men and scribes and prophets, apostles and such, uh, believers, and they persecute them and even uh, lash them uh, and send them out of the synagogues and even kill and stone some of them to death and have them crucified, they participate in the sins and therefore the guilt, the condemnation, and punishment of their fathers as the sufferings of the righteous are filled up. God will only allow the righteous to suffer for so long and the guilt of the wicked is filled up when God will bring judgment upon the wicked and salvation uh, for his people. And so you, you have all of that bound up in there. And the last thing I want to say, and I'll get to here, is where he says righteous Abel uh, to Zechariah the son of Berechiah. That's, that's the, the prophet whom you killed between the temple and the altar. There's another Zechariah the son of uh, Jehoiada, as I recall, in Chronicles, who speaks against the people, is killed. Uh, Jesus equivocates, and he, he therefore draws on the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. So sometimes they, they would bring quotes together, and because the religious leaders, now they knew the scriptures, they read them, they knew the content, uh, by saying uh, the blood of righteous Abel. Oh, beginning of Genesis, the beginning of the Torah, the beginning of the whole Tanakh. Uh, to the blood, uh, the blood of righteous Abel, uh, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Very clear, there's only one son, Zechariah, son of Berechiah. Oh, the end of the prophets, the 11th of the, the 12, uh, the 12 minor prophets whom you killed between the temple and the altar. Wait, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, prophets, whom you killed between the temple, Jehoiada, son. <laughs> he, he's, it's Hebrew rhetoric. And so they'll often do things like that. And so that's, uh, that's one of the uh, contradictions that will people will point to. It's intentional. It's rhetorical uh, to get their attention and make a point, uh, kind of also like we've seen, and we'll look more uh, it's some of the rhetoric that they use. Uh, they'd often, like with the lesser to greater argument, or sometimes vice versa, deny the lesser, affirm the greater. You know, the, the lesser is so less, it's as if it doesn't even exist or account for anything, affirm the greater. And so Paul says things like uh, that you shall not muzzle an ox. Well, is God concerned for oxen? Isn't it written for our sake? It's written for our sake. And so some, you'll have sometimes commentators who will twist themselves into pretzels and not <laughs> trying to say, no, it has nothing to do with oxen whatsoever. Deuteronomy, nothing to do whatsoever. It's like, it's, it's common Hebrew rhetoric. Deny the lesser, affirm the greater. Uh, Yahweh, the prophets will often say, uh, do I care about burnt offerings and sacrifices? Don't I rather desire justice? <laughs> <laughs> when I called the people out of Egypt uh, in Jeremiah, he says, I did not command your fathers concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Well, yeah, you did, God. <laughs> they know that because they've read the scriptures. And so he's making a bigger point. Justice, justice is what 
ultimately matters, or the weightier matters. And Jesus will often quote that, you know, if you only understood, I don't desire burnt offering and sacrifice, but uh, rather justice. Well, there are places where it says God smelt the burnt offerings and sacrifices and he was delighted, you know, by the fragrant aroma. <laughs> but if you're going to forget justice, forget it. And we even saw that in uh, Exodus in some of our earlier classes where uh, God says that uh, to your fathers I revealed myself as uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, but I, my name, Yahweh, I did not make known to them. And then he goes on to say, I will, I will, I will. Uh, I will bring judgments upon the Egyptians. I will bring you out of the land. I will bring you to myself. I will reveal myself to you. I will be your God and you will be my people. And then you will know that I am Yahweh. They still don't know him as Yahweh. Yeah, they, they know this, this sound. They know the form of the words. Uh, like the patriarchs, but there's a fuller revelation that comes uh, with a God's deliverance, with his judgment that comes upon the Egyptians and upon Pharaoh, uh, and in his salvation, uh, and he, he reveals himself at Mount Sinai in a greater way so they understand the significance of his name. You have the patriarchs even call him Yahweh, and, and he'll, uh, he'll address them and such with his name. Uh, going back all the way early in Genesis, it's Hebrew rhetoric, deny the lesser, affirm the greater. And so it's funny because you'll have, uh, you'll have liberal scholars and such that just don't read very well. <laughs> they, they don't get the, the rhetoric. You know, it's like sometimes, maybe if you ever had a, a professor or a teacher who has a kind of a subtle, dry sense of humor. And by dry, I don't mean not funny. I just mean... They don't have to be slapstick in their presentation to draw attention that they're making a joke. They let the joke do the talking. And you'll have some students that think that they're just a riot uh, and that you know they're hilarious as all get out. But then you'll have a bunch of other students that are like, "Oh, Mr. So and So, you know, uh, boy, he, he he's always like angry all the time, or you know, he's he's not he's not funny. He doesn't have any sense of humor. It's like." No, you just don't have a sense of humor, <laughs> or you you can't you don't hear you know the dry uh, the the dr subtle way they they slip in and present like irony and such. And so uh, we do things like that all the time. We take for granted, and the biblical authors do too. And so uh, there are things like that where uh, that passage with Jesus that'd be one of the biggest uh, you know objections that anyone can raise as far as contradictions. But the only problem is. It's not their problem. Uh, the people he spoke with knew the scriptures so well. Oh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketavim. They pick it. They pick it right up like that. And so Jesus assumes his audience can follow. Uh, you know, Matthew, Luke. They assume their audiences can follow. But if we don't know the scriptures well enough in the context, you miss things like irony and uh, rhetoric and deny the lesser, affirm the greater, and such like that. So. And we'll talk about uh, some more of that. We'll have opportunities to show like how uh, Paul and the biblical authors quote and draw upon uh, Genesis. I'm just going to say that what you uh, were saying, talking about mm -hmm. holidays, I, and you 
prophet's blood will be on you. It just reminded me when Saul of Tarsus, he said, well, why, why are you persecuting me? And just, you know, throughout, throughout the ages, they've always been persecuting the prophets, but yeah. attributed to God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very, very well put. That's that's a good example. Anyone think of any others? You know, idea of like corporate solidarity. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Whereas Christians, you know directly that he was uh, he was attacking. And then you have uh, you have uh, Abel and the blood of the the righteous whom you killed between the temple and the altar. Well, look, and there's another example. You could say, oh, look at this contradiction where, wait, Jesus doesn't know that, that Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, wasn't the one who died between the temple and the altar, that it was Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada? He didn't know that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> it's a lot of times we don't know our Bibles uh, well enough, so we miss, <laughs> we miss the point. And a lot of times they'll, I think Mark does that at the beginning of his gospel, but a lot of times they'll quote like, maybe a major central author. And so, you know, as it's written in Isaiah, quote Isaiah, they'll draw a quote from Jeremiah without saying Jeremiah. Well, he quoted maybe the central text that he's drawing from, from the scriptures, Isaiah, uh, to draw attention to his quote. But then he'll string together another quote right with it from another one of the, the prophets, tying them together, you know, kind of biblical theology, looking at how these ideas like unfold throughout throughout scripture and sometimes they'd often offer proofs and such from uh, from the law, the prophets, and the writings, from you know, the whole Tanakh. Uh, and so these things were were known by them, but then fo just following that, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. Well I guess I guess the Lord you know, Jesus also doesn't know that the Pharisees here live hundreds of years after, <laughs> you know, like six, what, 600 years, if it's around like time of joy, several hundred years before uh, that he died and that it wasn't them who directly, you know, put him to death at, between the temple and the altar. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's, you know, there's irony and such there, sometimes hyperbole, but it's also the idea of like corporate solidarity uh, that's bound up with it by participating in the sins of your fathers you will also share in their guilt and their condemnation. And that's from all of creation, from all the way back to the very beginning with Abel, the first one, uh, the first righteous seed, offspring, believer, who was unjustly slain and murdered by his own uh, brother. All the way there to the end of the scriptures and beyond, those who he's going to send after, after them, and all those who walk in the ways of their fathers, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the Sadducees, who were unrepentant, in, those who were unrepentant in their sin, uh, and sinned and rebelled, all the way to the beginning of creation. Uh, they'll, they'll share in one another's, well, they share one another's sin and guilt and condemnation, ultimately punishment. And that's why it's part, a big part of why hell is forever. And then sitting against uh, the perfect creator. And people will, will still be corrupt in their, their hearts. God won't allow them to go on sinning. You know, hell's not going to be a big party as a lot of people uh, seem to think. But and so judgment will be forever.
right, so be, for Genesis, any other thoughts, questions? Well, here, since we're running out of time, or time will be short, we'll just have to uh, start uh, this section. And I'll touch on uh, the, the audience, which uh, we've kind of already seen, and then go into the, uh, begin to introduce the, the structure of Genesis and uh, how it all holds together, the, the parts and the holes. And so, here we, we, we've already you know, seen very clearly from our survey that the second generation to enter the land and their sons and daughters after, you know, for whom these, uh, the covenant, other writings are for their instruction uh, to, uh, to, to speak of them, uh, you know, when they walk by the way, lie down, rise up in their houses. And so teaching for those who would follow and were going to enter the land with Joshua uh, in the, the conquest uh, afterwards. And then let me just quote from uh, Eugene Merrill from his uh, history of uh, Kingdom of uh, Priests. It's a history of uh, biblical uh, Israel, especially from the time of the, of the patriarchs uh, to uh, the end of the, the Old Testament uh, history. Uh, it's a very a very good, useful book, by the way. And here, just speaking about the uh, occasion uh, and purpose for the uh, composition of the, uh, the Torah, uh, he says, uh, the inner testimony of the Old Testament, as well as ancient tradition regarding its authorship and composition, locate its origin as a literary work at the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, the occasion was the impending death of Moses and his desire uh, before this transpired to inform Israel and generations to come of who the Israelites were, uh, whence they had come, and what God had in store for them as a people chosen by God from among all the nations. The impetus for the history commences there, and everything that proceeds uh, Genesis through Numbers and immediately follows Deuteronomy, finds its orientation in that time and place. And so uh, just to keep in mind, as we work through uh, Genesis, uh, the author, uh, the audience, uh, and the generations that follow as they prepare uh, for the conquest and uh, the generations to come with uh, Samuel, David, Solomon, uh, and the line following, and the kings who are to write down and uh, meditate, uh, even writing down uh, the, the covenant like in Deuteronomy and such, uh, in the scriptures on their, their doorposts. And we'll also see with the structure why context is so important uh, of keeping things in, in their right perspective and uh, interpreting them properly. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Merrill uh, concludes saying, it is outside the immediate interest of this study to deal with the theological implications of uh, the so-called Mosaic or Sinaitic Covenant. Uh, suffice it to say that by this instrument, Yahweh confirmed his work of redeeming his vassal people from the overlordship of Egypt by making them his own servants, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19, verse 6. 
Uh, their role, uh, their role, uh, nations of, or their role thenceforth would be to mediate or intercede as priests between the holy God and the wayward nations of the world with the end in view not only of declaring his salvation uh, but also providing the human channel in and through whom this salvation would be affected. And so here you have a kingdom of priests, a holy nation that God calls them. Yeah, it's a nation of priests and with one high priest and you even see like Yahweh and the angel of Yahweh even act as priest and give sacrifice and even with the man and the woman, clothe them and cover them, make, make atonement. But it was a kingdom and nation of priests and one high priest uh, that they dare not forget. And when some did, uh, like uh, Dathan and Abiram, uh, the earth opened up and swallowed them up. Well, we're holy too. You know, we're to wear tassels uh, on the, the hems of our robes to remind us that we're priests before God and we're holy before God and we're to offer proper sacrifice. And they challenged Aaron and God opened up the earth and it swallowed them up uh, alive and clo closed on them and those who were with them in solidarity uh, with them in their rebellion. But not just being a nation of of priests or, or with priests and a high priest, but they were, they were a kingdom of priests. Uh, they were to minister and to mediate to all nations around them, uh, to be a blessing, uh, to make God known to all nations so that the nations could be restored and reconciled uh, to God. And you see that even in, uh, in the church that we're all stones built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Uh, and Peter talks about how you're a kingdom of priests. Uh, you're a holy nation to give sacrifices uh, before Yahweh God. And in the end of Revelation, you have 12 foundations for the 12 apostles and 12 gates for the 12 tribes of Israel. 24 priestly divisions, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so as the, the, the church, the assembly of the redeemed in this age with the 12 apostles are brought into the kingdom uh, with the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven and then the, the 12 gates for the 12 tribes, these 24 are now a kingdom of priests and a holy nation brought together, united, uh, kind of like Paul talks about like in uh, Romans 11, that we've been grafted into the promises. Uh, and uh, Kevin Bowder, uh, who's president and uh, now professor at Central Seminary, uh, he had a number of very helpful articles talking about how God has, you have the people of God, but then you have the peoples of God, and the nations will walk in their light. And so you have unity and diversity, and you have those who recognize that in the assembly of the redeemed of this age, that we're partakers in the kingdom. That as Paul says, uh, in Galatians 4 to a largely Gentile uh, audience that, uh, that uh, Sarah is your mother. She's our mother. In Philippians, he says, we're the true circumcision. 
And so you have all of this language. Uh, James Orway has drawn that, on that. He, he's kind of a, a millennialist. And so that they'll recognize, oh, the church, you know, that they are sharers. They're partakers in the kingdom, uh, in the heavenly Jerusalem. But then they'll deny the place for, uh, you know, a great national remnant that's going to be brought in when God redeems uh, Israel, who largely is in rebellion uh, in this age. But one day he's going to redeem them and bring them together. And, uh, and apart from them, you wouldn't have 12 foundations and 12 gates. <laughs> you wouldn't have the, the kingdom of priests and the holy nation. So they're brought together. Both things are true. <laughs> and the nations will walk in their light, you know, in all, all eternity. And so you have the people of God and the peoples of God, as uh, Kevin Bowder has said. And so, well, I think for tonight, uh, that's a good place to stop. And then uh, next time, uh, we'll look at the structure and uh, touch on some of the themes there with uh, Genesis. And I think we'll be able to cover that in one week. And then we'll uh, begin with uh, creation, uh, right at the, the very beginning. So let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that you appointed your prophet Moses and you mediated and taught and spoke and wrote even through him. But that above all, that uh, these are your very words, uh, that uh, Moses was your spokesman and that he spoke and taught whatever uh, you commanded him. And, and as uh, Aaron spoke, uh, he spoke only what Moses spoke to him uh, from, from you. And uh, we thank you above all uh, for your eternal son, uh, for uh, a heavenly uh, and greater judge and king and priest and prophet, uh, one sent directly from you who was in perfect communion with you from all eternity uh, and with your spirit and that you sent him and uh, he took on flesh. Uh, he uh, even humbled himself and you made us in your image, but uh, he, he took on and bore our image. It was made like us, uh, something that is even inconceivable and hard to even imagine or wrap one's mind around and so we thank you for sending your son and that you have uh, spoken finally and authoritatively through him uh, and through those uh, whom he sent uh, his uh, authoritative uh, apostles and prophets and that we have your word once for all delivered to the saints that we might be edified and built up and have hope and uh, trust in the finished work of your son his death burial and resurrection and so we thank you for him and thank you for your word and pray that uh, you'd bless our time together bring us back together and that uh, you'd instruct us uh, all the more and we pray in your son's name amen